someone sent me this week a a meme, a picture of Stonehenge <laughs> made out of butter. Okay. <laughs> in a field of grass, this little Stonehenge <laughs> made out of butter, and uh, the the title at the top it says uh, marginally funny. <laughs> um, like marginally but, uh, funny. Yeah, mar- margin. Yeah, marginally funny. But it says uh, at the bottom, question, is that butter? Uh, answer, no, it's Stonehenge. Response, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. Once again, I'm Thomas here with my good friend, Daniel. How's it going hey. today, Daniel? Good. Going good. Good. I feel like I'm kind of over the over the hump as far as uh, I kind of got slammed with projects and, and things got you know busy and pretty harried for a while. And mm-hmm. so this morning I I took part of an hour and just like decluttered my office. And so uh, you know I mean like yes. I, now it feels like I've kind of I've gotten to where I can uh, on uh, you know on our tech issues right now. And you know anyway I just feel like okay good now we can kind yep. of. Uh, resume progress <laughs> towards, <laughs> there's, towards uh, other things. There's some sense of ease that comes when you have your space in order. Yes. Like oh, yeah. for, for me, it's my, it's my workshop because so much mm-hmm. stuff happens there um, that if my workshop is a mess, I feel like everything is out of order until I get it. Get Interesting. It how, how the physical clutter actually creates like a mental clutter, yeah. doesn't it? Uh, yeah, and it affects you that way. Yeah, true. Well, I want to thank, as we begin uh, this discussion, uh, I want to thank our patrons who have uh, generously demonstrated their appreciation for this podcast. And uh, our uh, our patron page is patreon.com slash reason together. That's patreon.com slash reason together. And uh, if you, too, are, are interested in this material and would like to support this podcast, uh, besides supporting us at patreon.com slash reason together, you might just even consider sharing it with your friends, word of mouth, yes. um, you know, sharing it on Facebook, um, you know, things like that, just telling, you know, directing them to our our, um, our website, reasontogether.fm, mm-hmm. uh, to where they can access what we're on almost 90 episodes now, aren't we? Yeah, getting close I mean, to 90. A lot of material that we've covered, and um, so anyway, uh, appreciate the support, and uh, and hope that you can in in the way that you can join the conversation that we're having, uh, which kind of ranges from this to that, I guess, and the things that we talk about. Um, sometimes I was thinking of a question here in the last week or two that I it was kind of like a not a silly question, but in a in a sense to me, kind of a yeah question. And it turned out, you know, I've had a question or two like that that have turned out like, wow, we had a great discussion on that, that it really materialized into something substantive because as we try to connect just basic things of life to Scripture, um, you know, it really opens up some neat ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, One more thing to mention to our patrons um, and to, I I guess, to everyone that's listening. Uh, for right now, we have offered the last couple of after-show bonus episodes free of charge to yes. all who listen, and we haven't yet really talked about if we're going to continue that for a little while yet. Um, we don't intend to continue that forever, 
Um, right. So if you'd like to keep the after show and ensure that you always get it, you can go to patreon.com slash reason together and sign up as an elite patron. Uh, the elite patron society is where you can get all of the uh, after show <laughs> bonus episodes every single time we release one. Uh, but anyway, that's patreon.com slash reason together. All right. Um, we have some feedback from some of our patrons. Uh, we do give them priority. Also, if you're going to write in anything to the show, if you're a patron, you get top priority there. Uh, so we've got a couple things from patrons here. This first one is from Justin, uh, an elite patron, and he writes with some feedback from the last episode. He says, good afternoon, mm -hmm. Pastors Fox and Balsamo. Thank you for the informative and interesting discussions on COVID-19. I really don't see much disagreement, but rather two different perspectives on this unique situation we find ourselves in. Good to know. Um, I do <laughs> I do find it humorous that not long before COVID-19 got going in this country, your discussion centered around home church. Now we're all at home. <laughs> he, he goes on, I completely agree with Tom's assessment of the hypothetical all things being equal scenario where the church that decides to forego their meeting has made the safer decision. I also agree that a number of churches have hurt the testimony of Christ by taking such a vocal position about their right to remain open despite the virus. The problem I have had with how this has been handled in the United States is that the churches haven't been allowed to use their common sense or judgment, but rather have had the government make that determination for them. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, in, our, in our state, it would be a finable offense for us to meet as a church body. So we aren't really free to play out the hypothetical. The government felt that it had to do that for us. We can't even meet with another family, even if none of us are at an elevated risk and we take precautions. Our church would almost always be safer staying at home on Sunday than going in. The drive to church, as well as exposure to <laughs> other people that may have an illness, such as the flu, could pose a hazard. We consider this many times a year when someone in our family is sick and we decide whether we should take precautions and attend or if it would be better or safer for others if we stayed at home. Sure, right. That's a good point. <clears throat> uh, COVID-19 brings about symptoms that are worse than what we deal with on a typical basis, so it makes sense that more distancing and even closure might be very wise options in this case. I simply want the freedom to think through this and then make the best decision for me. It is possible that some people will make unwise and unsafe decisions when given the freedom to do so. Absolutely. That, that is one price of living in freedom. The right. COVID-19 precautions have a price. There has been a tremendous economic upheaval that will likely take years, if not a decade, to change. <clears throat> what advancements in medicine and technology have been delayed because we forced everyone to stay home. On the other hand, it is my sincere prayer that the many families that are spending more time home together than they ever have before will, quote, rediscover the wonder of home parenting, homeschooling, and just being together. I think that'd be a good thing, too. Uh, yeah. he, he says, I understand that what I have said above really comes from an American slash legal rather than a biblical standpoint. I don't see this as persecution against the church, and so I don't yet see any reason for civil disobedience praying for a day soon when we can move the discussion to new topics. Have a blessed afternoon. Justin. <clears throat> Welcome to that day. Yes. <laughs> this is the day where we say we are not talking about this virus 
anymore. <laughs> but we appreciate the feedback, Justin. Uh, thank you very much for sending that in. Uh, the next thing I have here, this is from Omar, uh, also one of our patrons, <clears throat> and it's on the topic of handshaking. <laughs> um, he says, I imagine everyone is tired of talking about the virus. <laughs> but I was wondering, what would you think of it if this virus kills handshaking in church? Would that be a good thing in your opinion? Uh, in my opinion, it would be a sad thing. I know handshaking can pass germs, but I think the significance of handshaking goes much deeper than just the mere act of it. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would say it's not going to do away with it because it's so ingrained. And I think the backing off to like an elbow bump is just sort of awkward. You know what I mean? So people are, are just going to fall back to the natural, which is the handshake. Yeah. You, the more the, I'd say if you took away the handshake, and you reverted to maybe more of a biblical or Eastern stance, then you'd even be getting closer. You'd be like hugging each other and kissing right. each other on the cheek and stuff yeah. like that, which wouldn't, you know, help things, I guess, as far as... Let, let's not. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would agree that there is a, um, there is a meaningfulness to a handshake. Yeah. We go, oh, it can pass germs. But you know, you know, yeah, in the, in a firm handshake, you can communicate, um, something anyway. So I just, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. It I'm right there with you. It's more than an elbow bump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, the part of me sees it two ways, uh, you know, as, um, and just, just kind of thinking of, of what happens in the transferal of a handshake. Yeah. Part of me does get kind of cringy about it, you know, especially if someone coughs into their hand and stuff like that. So, so part <laughs> uh, of me wouldn't necessarily miss that, but as, a, as a pastor, I, I think I would miss that, and mm -hmm. uh, I think it, it does go beyond just a mere act, um, and, and, and you can tell already even before. We uh, stopped uh, holding services publicly for now. We would come together for church, and we 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 told folks that handshaking was optional. We didn't we didn't say no handshaking. We said it's optional, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and don't be offended mm -hmm. if if somebody doesn't want to shake hands. Sure. Um, and there was a number of times where people would come in and, and we wouldn't shake hands, and it just feels different. It just seems different, and I and I don't yeah. I don't yeah. like it. I, I don't like it. So like you're almost avoiding each other. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Anything else right. on that? Well, nope. Thank you guys for your feedback. We always love to get feedback. Yes. All right. Shall we move on to the first patron question here? Yeah. Yeah, please. Okay. This one is from uh, Jason, and this is about misunderstandings and defending yourself. And, and I think... Yeah, we had... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Was it two, three episodes ago, we talked about um, what do you do when people misunderstand you? Do you... Uh, you take up the defense, you know, and say, you know, try to exonerate yourself publicly, or do you, the, the term I used was nail your reputation to the cross and just determine that, you know, by my life, you know, people will just see that who I really am and just let them think what they will and let the public smear me <laughs> as they yeah. will, you know, yeah. what's the right response? That was kind of our question. Yes. And this is a feedback to that. Yes. Um, now, Jason offers some of his uh, personal experience here, which um, is, is in some ways kind of a, of a sensitive nature. <clears throat> and he did in his email give us, uh, he, he left us with the discretion of what we would want to share and what we would not share. He said mm -hmm. it's totally up to us what we include uh, in the episode. <clears throat> so we'll go through it. It's a longer email, and I'll see what I can pull here that is, uh, is kind of important to the discussion here. Um, he, he says, being a divorced man, I have struggled for years with people's misunderstandings of me since by God's grace, I do not fit the mold of most divorced men. 
I did not commit adultery against my ex-wife. I did not leave my local church. I did not want the marriage to end. And I fought unjust custody orders to win 50-50 parenting time with my children, which Mm -hmm. has allowed me to continue homeschooling and raise them in a home where God is honored and his word obeyed. This is all to God's glory, not mine. I appreciate that, Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, uh, <clears throat> um, "He said, here's the part you may or may not want to cut. He said, by contrast, my, my ex-wife left me precisely because she was committing adultery with a man whom she later married. Uh, she did leave behind a Bible-believing church. She spread lies of abuse and attempted to place our children in public schools and raise them in a home that accepts worldliness, alcohol being one example. He says, the difficulty I've had is that some say by telling the truth, I am disrespecting my ex-wife by airing out Mm. her sins. In order not to slander her, I follow the same quote-unquote script I used above, only pointing out her demonstrable and public actions, none of which she has attempted to hide. The misunderstanding comes in here. Many initially believed some false claims of abuse, and this has only recently begun to clear up when my now teenage and young adult children have publicly stated that the abuse has never happened. However, there remains people who still refuse to believe the truth. They state that for a man to not be responsible in some way for a divorce is highly unusual in their experience, and that I must have done something wrong. However, they also state that they don't want to know the details. (laughs) Um, I mean, that just seems inherently unfair right on its face. Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm kind of laughing at the, no. the unfairness no, right. of, of such a statement that, you know, you must have done something wrong, but don't tell me the details. Um, <laughs> I don't want to know. Um, he says, getting back to how or if I defend myself, I have two responses. First, I recognize there are some who lack discernment and can't, won't see how God has worked in my life. All I can do there is be kind and move on. Yeah, I'd concur with that. Um, Second, if people say they don't want details but still attempt to pass judgment, I politely call that out as inconsistent and let them know they are free to ask myself and my children, who themselves are eager to clear up the misconceptions for their own sake. It is very hurtful and frustrating to be misunderstood on this kind of topic, But I think whether or not I should defend myself to individuals is highly subjective based on whether or not it will reflect poorly on the Lord. Oftentimes I believe it's better to stay silent and let the testimony of my children and my behavior speak for themselves, trusting that the Lord will sort it all out in eternity. On rare occasions I will defend myself, but it is not always necessary. My hope in sharing my story is that others will see that it's okay to let things go sometimes, even if it seems really big and or painful. What other people do or don't believe about us will not limit God's decision to bless and provide for us, especially if we continue to love, trust, and obey him. That's good. And I, I think that, um, that, that his response mirrors uh, what our response was, is that it does depend. Now, it was interesting because he brought out kind of two scenarios there. One was, um, is it necessary to defend myself? You know, some people may go into a situation and they feel they're going to they're gonna air the dirty laundry even if it's not necessary. You know, mm-hmm. somebody says, oh, look, you know, I'm sorry you went through this and uh, I'm sure it was a hurtful time. Yeah, yeah, you know my wife did. And you know what people said about me? Well, you don't need to say that right. because they're not driving you into the ground. Um, and so I appreciate that he recognizes sometimes it's not necessary and other times it's not welcome. 
uh, meaning they're not going to understand it right or whatever they don't want they, so, they've I mean, already picked see, how they want to see you yeah, yeah yeah and so in that scenario if you and i think that was a something you brought up in that episode was to say you know if they're not going to listen yeah or something like if, that if it helps. you know if it helps yeah and so in those scenarios you kind of in the in between you got some people who won't won't understand and some people that don't really need to they don't need all the facts and the evidence right. they don't need you to put up that argument but in between there's some folks that um you know that may need some clarification as they're trying to uh, you know, m- mentally navigate through their judgment of the situation itself and providing, I think, the basics of the uncontested um, offenses, like you said, that these yeah. are simply the facts of the matter. I'm not telling you every detail. I'm not telling you in, in you know, this emotionally charged, one-sided way. I'm simply saying, this is what I've done. This yeah. is what she's done. You know, judge yeah. for yourself. Okay. And then, and then back that up by... You know, that part of that being silent slash the testimony of your children thing goes yeah. a long way. Sure. You know, so in, in a sense, the Lord you know, can vindicate through your children's own testimony. So, yeah, um, it sounds as stated that it was, uh, you know, that it's handled uh, well and, and kind of according to what we were talking about, that sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. Yeah. And there are there are ways to tell. And I appreciate that he he drew out two of those. Yeah. Is it necessary? And is it are are, are will it help? Right. I, I do have to respect the way that he seems willing to only share with those who ask the public facing things that his wife his ex wife did. Right. Um I, I think that's fair. And and I, I know perhaps some might like you were saying, some might want to just start airing all the dirty laundry, and he's kind of only sticking to the things that are public-facing things. Uh, and that seems very respectful to me. I, I've got to respect mm-hmm. that. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that bothered me the most here about this scenario is, like he says here, that there are some who say, uh, you know, in, in in my experience, it's unusual that the husband didn't do anything to cause the divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to, to not want to hear any of the details. Uh, I don't know. That just seems awfully haughty to me. Awfully haughty. Well, Cause you're basically saying here, I've decided that I already think this about you, <laughs> but don't try and change my mind. I've already decided what I want to think about you. That yeah, just don't defend yourself. I already made up my mind. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Now what's interesting to me about that, as far as where I would be different is that if I'm going to make a judgment, I'm not going to talk to you about it. <laughs> I'm just going to reserve judgment in my own mind. Right. You're going to you know silent, silently I'm, judge. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, we yeah, do. We, sure. That's, you know, but I mean, I wouldn't say, say to him, well, I think that that's highly unlikely, yeah. but don't tell me the fact, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be talking to you about your divorce. Right. I'd just be talking to you about other things. I, honestly. Right. Because what am I going to help by telling you what I think of it? <laughs> that's kind of my take on, it. you know, I, yeah. you know, it, as if you haven't been through it already, let's talk about something different and move on with your life. But yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, no, I think overall Jason, the th- way he's handling it is, is, is uh, pretty respectable. Thanks for the example of what we were talking about and for your transparency uh, in it. I'm, I'm sure it was a hurtful thing and I can't claim to know what it feels like, but thank you for being willing to, to share it for, for help here. Yes. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. Yep. All right. Um, well, that covers all of our patron feedback and questions for the moment. Uh, do you have anything you want to jump into real quick? 
I do. And this is uh, this is you know, way different than what we've been talking about here. But, you know, over the past several years, we've seen the um, the marketplace, if you will, transition to a global marketplace, which has obviously affected local businesses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my take on as far as on the practical side of a local business, I like local business because I like walking into a we have a local shoe store, you know, and um, and I like walking into a local shoe store. You do? Yeah. In Wayland. No, not not in oh. Wayland. <laughs> I was like, it's like wow. No, there's a ta- yeah. There's okay. City Hall and there's a couple of gas stations in Wayland. <laughs> Post office. <laughs> no, yeah. but I mean in Keokuk or like in Quincy. Okay. If you go to you know, to the running store, uh they're gonna have you actually they're gonna watch you walk and they're gonna see if you pronate and tell you what kind of shoes you need and then direct you toward a pair of shoes, you know. Um, or like if you go, you know, maybe you go to another shoe store and they're actually going to measure you and they're going to kind of fit you, you know what I mean? But you have that personal, we deal with shoes. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. Uh, we're actually going to try to fit you to a good pair of shoes versus you go to an online store and here's the prices, here's the sizes, buy yourself a pair of shoes. You know what I mean? There is no, you know, hands on expert helping you there to say here's the best shoe for you so in that sense i like local however uh, obviously with you know amazon and so many i mean just many many sites Mm -hmm. um they really you know have have captured something um and i'm thinking of say like a shoe store an online shoe store that offers free shipping free returns well, you're like, hey, goodness, I mean, I can't lose there. If I if I buy a pair of shoes, I get a good price on yeah. them, and they don't fit, I send them back, and I try a different pair, different size, you know? Um, so it's really kind of, it doesn't seem like you've, you've lost a whole lot there. So my question is, um, considering that economic issue of shopping locally versus shopping globally, as it were, in the internet marketplace... Um, we're trying to, you know, govern our lives by scripture. And my question is partly, I guess, is there is there any sort of a moral or ethical argument that comes into play when we're talking about the marketplace? Um, or is it just a matter of opinion? About like local economy versus like global right. economy? Right, right. I mean, we don't like it on a practical level. We go, oh, I know somebody, he has a local business and he's trying to have this shoe store and now he can't he can't operate anymore because these big, you know internet places are taken over but okay we may not like it but is there is there something wrong with with this internet uh shopping marketplace Boy, that's a really interesting question um i I guess part of me has to go go back to the thought about you know an economy is responsible for for doing what for for moving money (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. Okay. um and and i guess you know if i'm if i'm using my money in my local economy there are arguments i guess that people can make that that stimulates local economy which certainly affects my quality of life locally and Mm -hmm. the idea of spending my money somewhere else you know basically starving the local economy in favor of a more broader economy uh, again is moving money somewhere else affecting my quality of life potentially so when money is being moved the question is okay how does that affect my use of it is my use of it moral? In other words, if there's more money available in my local economy, what is my local economy doing? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> Maybe, as and, far as 
Okay. Right. Good, so good, good developing the thought here. I guess if I'm spending money on all the local businesses in my town here, and my town begins to, uh, you know, invite more businesses, because I mean, obviously, if they're friendly for small business, small businesses are going to going to want to open up. The economy sure. grows bigger, and uh, the, if the local economy grows bigger, it obviously brings more people. And, and obviously, Christians and, and conservative Christians especially are outnumbered in this society. If the economy builds a bigger demographic, a larger numerically mm. demographic uh, of That's people, it, it may start to trend more liberal, uh, which mm-hmm. certainly comes with a lot of progressive ideas that might be considered <laughs> anti-Christian. I'm seeing what you're saying here. I think, can I interrupt you just for a minute? Sure. So you're, can I, if I could... I'm just thinking out loud. That's yeah. All. Okay. So the thought is that if I, uh, not just me, obviously, but if everybody adopted the mindset that we're going to invest locally, well, mm-hmm. then obviously the local economy would flourish. It would draw more business. It would grow bigger um, and more people would show up, which yeah. means then we would have, you know, uh, some extra bars and a movie theater and the things that entertain those people yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And so you're saying that obviously you know, the mass of humanity being sinners, as the culture grows, it's going to manifest those progressive tendencies. Is that kind of what you're saying? I'm not trying to make an argument against supporting local economy. Uh, I think this is another one of those instances where I think doing both is okay. Uh, And and when we support something like capitalism, for instance, and I I consider myself to be a pro-capitalism guy, Mm -hmm. um, that gives people the the freedom to spend their money locally or on Amazon if they want. And it gives businesses like Amazon the freedom to advertise in local communities. And it gives businesses the opportunity to advertise in, in other communities that aren't their own locality. Yes. So, so yes. just kind of the natural trend of capitalism in a world of sinners, I think over time is going to create kind of a populated population centers, which tended to grow more progressive. Yeah. And I don't think that's an argument, certainly against the whole global marketplace or, right. uh, or, inve- or investing internally, uh, locally. Um, just because, you know, that's kind of saying that my investing in a shoe store is somehow contributing to the building of bars or something. Obviously right. there's not really a connection there no. di- directly, but and I think you make a good point that, Given the ingenuity of people, they could, you say, oh, no, it's going to dry up locally. Well, what if those local people, though, take on the glo- the, the the global marketplace and they begin to advertise and maybe they get more business than they had before because now they're reaching millions of people instead of hundreds or, or thousands. And the verse right. that came to my mind as I was thinking about this question was Proverbs eighteen sixteen which says a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. And the thought is that with the, with the internet economy, you know, a man who's gifted or who's driven or, you know, who has a particular expertise or skill now has an outlet for that skill to multiply more people than he did before. Yeah. What verse was that again? Proverbs eighteen sixteen. Sixteen. 16. Okay. And I thought so. so Go ahead. So I'm thinking, you know, here's a guy maybe who works with leather or he works with steel or he, you know, he does something unique. Well, it may not sell in a a town of 10,000 people. It may not be big enough to be, you know, to really develop itself as a, 
as a sole income. But all of a sudden, when he's got, you know, a million people that can see his product, well, now it might. And, and his gift can be honed and it can be used. Looking at that verse, um, thinking about the word gift that's used there, um, there's a couple different ways that word is used. So I'm wondering how that plays into what we're talking about here. Uh, okay. Um, th- I know that there's a, a, when you read the word gift in Proverbs, like Proverbs 17, 23, that word has to do with the idea of like a bribe. Um, okay. If, if that's my understanding of it properly. And I'm sure there are language experts that would know better than, than me. But the word here that you're talking about in Proverbs 18, 16 uh, is more the idea of a present that you give to someone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, okay, uh, like I see. Jacob's gift in Genesis 32 um, or Joseph's gift in Genesis 43 and so on. Um, the idea of, uh, of, of handing someone something, a present, that sort of thing. So uh-huh, does that change our use of yeah. it here? A man's present or gift maketh room for him. Um, almost like, is this the idea of getting favor with someone uh, by giving yeah, them something almost I, like a bribe I, I think I, I think you're right uh, what the way I was seeing it which without really studying it was considering a gift in the terms of a skill but I think you're right in saying that more if a man gives a gift obviously it, it paves a way for him right. to have access and influence to people that he wouldn't have had otherwise yeah. maybe a better verse would be like Proverbs 22:29 where it says seest thou a man diligent in his yeah. business he shall stand before kings he shall not stand before mean men yeah so a, a man who's diligent in what he does is going to advance and is going to you know elevate if you will um, so if our listeners have any thoughts on maybe biblical principles that play into the local versus global market, but I guess I have to say as much as I, in a, in a sense, maybe I hate to say it or I don't, you know, I like, I like local business to a point. Yeah. Um, and yet I certainly, I certainly like the, the advantages of the global marketplace. Um, and I use it all the time, you yeah. know? Um, well, I don't, so, I think that I don't know that there is a specific locality that doesn't borrow from the global market in some way, yeah, um, okay. you know, to either to make their business better in some way or make a competitive idea or product. Um, so I don't think there's local markets that totally isolate themselves from the global market. And yeah, my, but I mean, it, it kind of. I don't know, from the standpoint, uh, from an anecdotal standpoint, I do find that the shop local trends are oftentimes Mm -hmm. in in very liberal places. Have you noticed that? Hmm. I don't know that I have noticed it, but it's like it doesn't it doesn't strike me as odd when you say it. Well, because there's a lot of arguments for the shop local thing being good for the planet. That Ah. somehow globalization of our markets uh, they suggest that it's it's more harmful to our carbon footprint, um, as they say. Somehow. <laughs> because things have to be shipped in from further away, and there's a uh, lot more steps okay. in the process, more people handling the things. So there there is an economic, but there's also, um, there tends to be an environmental subject brought into it, which okay. I think brings it more into the, the liberal sphere many times, because they seem to be much more um, environmentally vocal. I see. On the conservative side, maybe I think there there's sometimes a struggle with just the nostalgia of the old fashioned agrarian lifestyle that 
you know, you produced what you had. We're, we're all a community. We've got what we need. And, and obviously some major shifts yeah. have happened with, you know, in industry and technology and things like yeah. that, where there is a shift in the culture and, and we don't always like it because it's not as laid back or it's not as, uh, you know, face to face or a personal as it used to be, you know what I mean? There's obviously yeah. some shifts and, and if that's related to now we're shopping online and, and you know, the world's going, yeah. <laughs> going down, you know, I, I do like the quaintness of it. I, I do like that. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, the more personable nature of it. You know, if I shop, we have a, a local hardware store just up the street and they're not doing well business wise. They're struggling. Uh, and I go there for unique things when I need a part that nobody else has. They have yeah. it. Yeah. And you can get personal help from somebody who knows what they're talking about, whereas you go to a lot of the big box places. And to, to find good help, you got to go to the pro desk. And even then, sometimes, you know, if you just ask somebody walk in the aisles of the store wearing the orange apron <laughs> or the blue apron, you're yeah. not always guaranteed a good answer <laughs> for what you're looking for. Right. So, I mean, I like the quaintness of, of the local thing. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess, too, I often notice somewhat of a double standard with a lot of the shop local communities. Uh, mm-hmm. And I see this a lot of times with like local coffee shops. Right. Uh, they make their own blend of coffee. Right. And mm-hmm. and everything is shop local, shop local, shop local. Next thing you know, you're you're, you know, several towns over and you're seeing this brand coffee in the grocery store. And, and it's yeah, like the first selling local. No, the first chance they get, they're trying to make a huge market leap with That's their brand. So it, there's yes. a lot of a double standard going on with it. Yeah. So. And, and one thing I realize as we're talking is that when I talk about local kind of um, bearing the idea of expertise, that's really not lacking necessarily sometimes in the global economy. Uh, or the glo- I, I like the global marketplace term, I guess. But, you know, sometimes I'll find a site if I'm looking for something and I'm kind of trying to research it a little bit. You'll find a site that's very helpful to be like, it'll explain this. You need to look at this. You need to consider this. And if you're trying to do this, you need to do that. And it'll, it, boy, it'll, it'll, wow, okay, yeah, this, this, this place is not just selling me the product. It's helping me to understand what I need. So, yeah. so, so that idea of expertise and help isn't only found in local stores. Right. It's just not oftentimes, you know, sometimes it's not found in a store that's just simply trying to sell you a product. But there are people out there, again, who use their ingenuity, who are applying maybe their expertise and their, their uh, what do you call it, PR, you know, yeah. online. Right. Well, I mean, and you can almost, if we're talking about relating this back to scripture, I mean, there's a number of Proverbs that deal with the diligent soul, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the person with diligent hands. Uh, I'm thinking of verses like... Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 4, and, and Proverbs 20 and verse 4. And, and you have to wonder if diligence almost implies also a growing marketplace. Yes, that's interesting. It seems like it has to. It um, almost has to. Yes, yes. That's a very good thought. Yeah. Um. Do you, do you, I, I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Proverbs 31, thinking about the, the, the virtuous woman where it yeah. says, she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. And then, uh, let's see, is there another part that says, um, 
I guess that's the one. And then verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Well, that doesn't say how far, but I mean, you know, I mean, she's dealing with yeah. some broad ranging things too. It's not like um, she's just going to her neighbor <laughs> and, and yeah. selling or borrowing. No, she's she's dealing with some some goods that are from afar and maybe even selling them afar. Yeah, and sure. And if diligent people back in that generation of people had the opportunity that we have today to expand their their points of sale sure. further, I think they would have. I, I well, think it's just built into the diligence package. Well, yeah. Yes, I think you're right. And I mean, look at Solomon. I, you know, it, can we slam him for the, you know, when, when his kingdom became successful and he built ships and they went to other countries and they brought back spices and ivory and trees and, 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 and unique things. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That obviously was reaching out and far beyond and gaining things they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, is that wrong? Is that inherently wrong? Mm-mm. No. No, it's not wrong. No. I mean, uh, I, I suppose uh, there can come a point where this kind of um, diligent business person affecting the the, con- the economy around him, th- this can, of course, go too far, I think. Well, sure. Diligence um, can tend to greed. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, thinking of, uh, um, what is it, Matthew 6, to not lay up treasures on earth. Yep. Right? Yep. I think that can extend so far. I think we've all probably known very... Uh, high energy, high powered entrepreneurial <laughs> people where it almost becomes a game to them to make money and and yeah. uh, they get very much tied up in those things. And, and I think it's in Second Timothy where we're told that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Right, um, right. The point is not it's not to argue against diligence, right? It's to argue for the right motivation and the right end with your diligence, you know, that your diligence is part of a godly character. Yeah. So I guess that kind of brings up the question then, should a Christian be overly concerned with the economy? How how concerned should we be? Yeah, it doesn't, a Christian, ultimately, I would say, I mean, I think, and, and this is another, maybe a broader discussion, which we're going to dive into eventually, because my mind's kind of been on just various facets of kind of political things, like, you know, you're dealing with uh, you know, foreign relations and economy and whatever. Um, you know, how does the Bible apply to those things? But to me, your, 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 your economic philosophy grows out of your theology. Right. And so... Y- I mean, the Christian needs to be concerned about it in the sense that his his approach to the economy is appropriate and his managing of his money. And like we were just talking about, you know, his motivation for his diligence is appropriate. But as far as worrying about the economy, you know, that to me doesn't seem fitting or appropriate. Right. Trying to mold economic philosophy to match, you know, better character. Now, that, to me, might warrant a discussion. Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, considering verses like Matthew six thirty three, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I'm looking at that in relation to if, if, I mean, and I'm not against having a good economy. I think that does improve our quality of life in many ways. Um, and, and I think capitalism is is largely responsible for, for that kind of economic growth. But... Uh, the priority for the Christian is to seek first the kingdom of God. And and if the yes. economy is falling apart around us, we still have a priority that's not the economy. Yes. And, and isn't that interesting to me that it, it seems like when you come to a voting cycle, what is 
probably number one in a lot of people's minds, or at least it weighs very heavily, is the economy. Yeah. You know, this guy might have a stance on a dozen issues, but generally speaking, if I'm pretty comfortable, my job's paying good, I can go home, I got enough money to go, you know, buy my camper or whatever, it's all pretty good. You know, yeah. I don't have any big gripe. Oh, you know, and is that the way it should be? Uh, no, not really. Um, like you say, we've got a priority above the economy, so the pocket, yeah. our pocketbook shouldn't be our primary indicator of of happiness and success. Right, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, I think Jesus said in that same chapter, take no thought for your life, what you mm. shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yeah, yet for your right. body, what you shall put on. Right. Those aren't causes of worry. Right. Because if I'm doing what I ought to be doing, God's going to provide for those basic necessities. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you for uh, engaging. See, that helped to kind of, yeah, draw, give me some, give me some more thought on that and uh, help round it out. That was, that was good. The thought on diligence too. Yeah. That a diligent, yeah, a diligent, diligence inherently leads to a broader marketplace it seems yeah yeah That's, and that is interesting it, it, it and there's a an, another bigger discussion to be had about that that uh, yeah. i personally think uh principles of finances and wisdom and diligence in the book of proverbs specifically but all of scripture mm. generally supports the idea of capitalism as we know it today um, mm, mm. Uh, I actually uh, taught a lesson on that once, and that's kind of why I already have somewhat of a formed uh, opinion on it, though, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to hear others out, but maybe that could be a discussion for another day, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway. So, well, good. Do we have another question that you want to bounce off, or are we... I do. How are we on time? Okay. Go I got ahead. one more here. Um, the uh, This past weekend was um, what many call Easter weekend, Um Personal mm-hmm. preference here, I call it Resurrection Sunday. Likewise. Um, the the Sight and Sound Theater had available for free one of their plays that you could watch online. Did, yes, did you hear I about watched this? it with the kids. Did you? I did. Okay, yep. good. Okay, I'm Cut glad. at the end. I'm yes, glad, because I, w- I wanted to get your thoughts on this. <clears throat> um, I thought it was very well done, by the way, mm-hmm. as as are all of their, their programs that I've seen. Oh, yeah, I mean, from a, from a technical standpoint... What sight and sounds can do with a stage is phenomenal. Yeah. It's amazing. Yes. Is there, I, I would want to ask, is there a particular part of that play that stuck in your craw as where you're like, uh, I don't know. And it, I, I can almost <laughs> guarantee I know which part you're going to say. <laughs> um, I may write it down and see if. if <laughs> and then hold it up, yeah. hold it up after I, after I say it. Well, without maybe remembering every detail of it, I mean, right at the, I will say, you know, and I told the kids before we watched it, I said, okay, um, you may not, I mean, maybe like, you know, you may not agree with everything. Um, and obviously anybody who makes, you know, a drama of this sort has to use, uh, interpretive license. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're trying to fill in the storyline, you know, how exactly the people interacted or what they did here or what they did there or their tone of voice, you're going to have to apply some license. So you may disagree with him, but I think as an over, as a whole, you know, this is going to be valuable for, for getting you to think about this, whatever. Now, so, but, but really, honestly, the way it started off, um, they kind of presented the guy, Peter and James and John and Andrew as almost like um, unregenerate fighting bullies or, you know, or whatever. Fishermen, like, old salts. 
Yeah, yeah, and they were in this sort of like corporate struggle, <laughs> and uh, and and his family was almost falling apart, and he didn't even know who Jesus was. You know, what are you doing in my boat? And I was kind of like, and I had just studied, you know, in Matthew fourteen and, and in John chapter one, um, and in John chapter one, there's just a fascinating story where John the Baptist, you know, reveals to the to the delegation sent from the Jewish people and says, "No, I'm not the Christ." But I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. I'm the one preparing the way Mm -hmm. for the Lord, Jehovah, you know. And then he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Well, the the next day he says almost the same phrase, and two of his disciples are there. One of the disciples is Andrew. Andrew goes and meets the Messiah. He finds his brother Peter and says, we found the Messiah. I mean, he didn't say, we found this really cool teacher guy who really seems to know what he's talking about. No, he said, we have found the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And not long after that, Nathaniel says, you are the king of Israel. So, I mean, they had a pretty clear picture of who he was before, I think, he ever walked by the seaside and called them as disciples. Oh, I think so, so too. I think they kind of had already gotten wind uh, of who he was and where he was. Yeah, I mean, I think by the time he says, you know, Peter, Andrew, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They had already thought this thing yeah. through pretty well to just get up from their nets and go, you bet we're giving our life to right. this thing. Yeah. So, so when they start off the play and it's like these feuding guys and like, who are you and what are you doing in my boat? Oh my goodness. You helped me catch a bunch of fish. You must be the son of God. I'm going to follow you. I was kind of like, eh, yeah, yeah. You know okay. I mean? Well, that's not the same part I'd written down. Sadly. Okay. So. <laughs> but uh, maybe give me a hint. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you for okay. time's sake. It was the portrayal of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he was praying before he was ah. crucified. And that's that's been a long thought out um, topic for many people is what was Jesus really well, like yes. in great agony there? Why was he agonizing? What was he what, agonizing what, over? And what was in the, what was in the cup? Question. That's exactly <clears throat> yeah. what's the cup. And, and, but I that's mean, right. to me, it was more the portrayal of him. And in, 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 to quote the exact words from the play, he said, my spirit is willing and and I can't remember if he said the words, he my said, flesh he, is weak. He said, I am said weak. He said, my flesh, but he said, I am weak. He said, I yep. am weak. And and they, they had the camera angles and the sound effects and this voice almost portraying it like a satanic temptation. Exactly. Where yeah. where Jesus really wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And, and I have a hard time seeing Jesus as that weak in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to see that that way. Um, so I'm I'm not entirely sure that that's a faithful depiction of why Jesus was agonizing there, because I you know I look at verses like in Philippians I believe it is who for the joy set before him endured the cross right and that, is that in Philippians yeah yeah no it's in Hebrews Hebrews okay um what is what is it am I thinking in Philippians chapter two um the um you know he uh, he humbled himself, humbled himself became, became obedient, obedient unto, unto death. death yeah he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross the death of the cross yes. um it, it doesn't seem to me like a whole lot of reluctance in passages like that right and right. yet they portrayed him as being so reluctant uh to do his father's to go will to the there cross yeah. yeah i just don't know that i can uh stomach that i agree and that goes uh to a perspective of the cup, um, you know, and, um, and anyway, I'm not sure I want to dive into that right now, unless unless you do, but yeah. Um, uh, what was it? Now the part that, that kind of irritated, uh, my wife and me some was Mary's response 
to the crucifixion. Um, and and again, these are just small things. Overall, a worthy watch. Um, you know, it, uh, it it's it's neat to at least get they. And sometimes they combine stories in a way. They made um, yeah. how they how they basically combined the concept of Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils, with the concept of the woman uh, caught in adultery. Yes, you know. So anyway, but but they're but they're getting a lot of Bible stories packed in. There was some to that two was uh, some of it was anachronistic meaning not really in the right time frame, um, okay. particularly okay. around when Judas betrayed the Christ uh, and the uh, events of the upper room. Those are particularly hard to get in proper time, even just with comparing the Gospels together. So it seemed a little anachronistic to me, though that is debatable. I'll give them that. But okay. uh, there were other it, things, it, too. It made you love... Um, um, Nicodemus. Yes. I already loved the character Joseph of Arimathea, Mm -hmm. but the one that they really made strong there was Nicodemus. Yes. Um, And it kind of, you know, endeared you to him. And Mary's response seemed a little, a little overwrought. Now, obviously, how much she cried and grieved her wailing, like, like an uncontrolled cry after he died. You know, now, you know, that what was it? uh, Was Simeon said a sword shall pierce thy heart. And I mean, so did Mary have some concept? She was a meditative woman. I mean, she was a she was a deep person in a sense where, you know, the shepherds came, you know, on the night of the of the birth and mm-hmm. and Mary pondered these things in her heart. So so did she have an idea of what was coming? You know, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not unlikely to think that. And, and was she a mature? Would she obviously grieve as a mother? I, what amazed me is even as mild as they portrayed the crucifixion, it moved me. Um, to think, what would that be yeah. like to watch there? I mean, yeah. literally people were watching, including some of his disciples and his mother were watching the crucifixion. You know, that would be gut-wrenching in a way. I mean, it'd just be very uh, traumatic. Uh, and yet the portrayal, I thought, was maybe uh, a bit overdone. But anyway, it... Um, I, I thought they did well at, the, at portraying the tension in the Sanhedrin court. mm mm-hmm. I thought that was a great scene. And just the because, kind of the vileness of Caiaphas. Yes. 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 And and the, the, the debate and arguments that took place in the Sanhedrin, I think, were a faithful depiction of really the the two different schools of thought between uh, the supporters of Christ and the Sanhedrin court. Mm. So there, I mean, there, there, no doubt, there was a lot that went into that. And um, of yeah. course, and there, there are other productions that have been neat too. Um, yeah. And again, you're not, anyway, not going to... You love every aspect of it, but right. you're giving them some license there. And... Yeah. Well, we'll have to take this discussion into the after show because there's more I want to get your thoughts okay. on Good. Uh, on it. But uh, that's all we have time for on this one. Hey. Uh, we do appreciate you listening, everyone. Yep. And uh, we uh, encourage you to uh, send in some feedback and uh, let us know your thoughts and any questions. Give us some topics for discussion. That, that's always a good thing, too. Uh, anyway, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.